Psalm 77, Psalms 77. Members, look around you. If your neighbor does not have a Bible, please share your Bible with them. And if they don't have a King James Version translation, please share that with them so they can find their place. While you're doing that, this past Sunday, we had our Sunday night, we announced our theme a little bit earlier because I want to get off to a very strong running start for this coming year. And uh, we gave out a New Year's packet, which uh, goes with our theme. The theme is only God will have new banners up and all of that this coming week here. But if you did not get one, please be sure you get one on the way out, one per adult. And we've got uh, highlights of some of our key dates. We have a church calendar in here. We have a Bible reading schedule. I want you to make 2020 a great Bible reading year. Amen? You get into the Word of God. I know you're on Christmas mode, but you got to get with me right now. You're probably oversaturated with apple pie and things like that. But let's have a great service this morning, okay? And then let's get some, um, get, we have the gospel tracks here for the, uh, for the new year, and it's just, it's going to be a great new year here for everyone, so I want to encourage you to get one of these on the way out, if you would, and our ushers and our helpers will be there for that. Tonight, we'll be on a, our final Sunday evening service tonight, totally different service, and be preaching a message to help encourage us for the new year that'll be, that'll help you get off to a good start. Psalm 77, Psalm 77, say amen if you're there. All right, verse 10 great, great psalm. This is actually the first time I've preached on this psalm, and I thought I'd preached on it before, but I have not, but it's a great psalm, and I think it'll help encourage us as we think about uh, this coming new year. Verse 10, and I said, this is my infirmity, but I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. I will meditate also of thy work and talk of thy doings. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God is our God. Would you repeat, read verse 13 with me please together. Let's read all together very loudly. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God. Now, those of you new to the church, I tell our church this all the time, but get a pen out and underline just four words. So great a God. Amen? So great a God. We're finishing up this series I've been preaching from uh, for the last several weeks on the two words, so great. And we're gonna finish up this evening or this morning on so great a God. Father, you are great. You are mighty. There's none to be compared to you. You are matchless. You are unrivaled. You are unparalleled. You are God and God alone. And this morning I pray that you'll help me to take our congregation into the very presence of God. I pray, Father, that you would Overwhelm us with your holiness. Overwhelm us with your love. Overwhelm us with your greatness. Overwhelm us with your salvation. Overwhelm us with your grace, which is so great, and your goodness, which we have no words to describe. And this morning, we want to thank you for being so great in our lives. I looked across the room for just a moment and Many here today in this past year, many here this morning worshiping God who received Jesus Christ as their Savior in 2019. 
Many, Lord, who are celebrating another year of the Christian life and could testify so great a God. Father, we want to honor you and adore you and exalt you today. Please use this service to build us up in the word of your grace. And we'll thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We are in the final message, and I probably could preach two more, but I want to start a new series beginning next Sunday. And uh, we're in the final message of this mini-series I've had called So Great. And uh, we began the series by looking at uh, verses of Scripture where the words so great are used. Now, so great is a, a, a very strong adjective to describe something. And sometimes when you're, um, you don't really have words to describe it, you just say, this is so great. And I, and I think about, I think about some, some things that are magnificent and breathtaking and incredible and beyond word description. For instance, I asked Brother Vaughn to pull this up, but I was looking up some places that are very breathtaking. There's the Moher Cliffs in Ireland, which are, is, is, is described as one of the great places in Ireland you want to see. Or for many of you who, who, who have descended from the Philippines, Palawan, the Palawan Islands in that area, they're a very beautiful area of islands and lakes and things of like that. And many of our members have been there. I've been invited there numerous times to go there to see it. And then I think about in the area of Iceland, the waterfalls, and I can't even pronounce this here, but one of the waterfall areas are just astounding and very breathtaking there. And then at the Argentina-Brazil border, one of the places called the Iguaza Falls has, is considered one of the most breathtaking places you can stand at. In Canada, there's a place called Moraine Lake, which is a very breathtaking view there, if you can just imagine that. And of course, the, the background graphic for our new theme for 2020, the Antelope Canyon, which is in Arizona, which is a just a very astounding, uh, just array of colors of how God has brought together the, 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 the landscape there through sand and cliffs and things of that nature. And, and when you think about it, if you've ran out of places to see and places to go, you really haven't because there's so many wonderful, beautiful wonders of the world. And, you know, when we look at that, I think Psalms 19.1 kind of summarizes all that. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. And we think about all the great creation of God. It's just so great. And we, we really don't know what to say except all of this is so great and we began our series by looking at Hebrews chapter 2 verse 3 where Paul talks about so great a salvation and then from there we went over to Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 where it speaks about so great a cloud of witnesses and from there we went to Exodus chapter 32 and we looked at where it talks about so great a sin because as we look at the goodness of God we also have to realize that there's some things that break the heart of God and then we after that we looked at a passage of scripture there in the Psalms which dealt with so great a people and and this morning as we close it up, we're looking at a psalm of Asaph. We're looking at a man. It wasn't David who wrote this psalm. A psalm of Asaph. Asaph was a choir leader. Asaph was prophetic, if you would. Asaph was a musician. Asaph was a man who penned the word of God to musical tones, if you would. And Asaph was a great writer of scripture. We find that Asaph, that Psalms 50... Psalms 73 to 83, about 11 or 12 psalms, are ascribed to Asaph. Asaph is first mentioned as being the choir leader. He was a Levite. He was a choir leader for, for, uh, for King David. And he was instrumentally involved in a lot of the music that went on. There were descendants of Asaph that we read about. And so as we read Psalms 50 and 73 to 83, we find 
We find the, 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 the handwriting, if you would, or the personality of Asaph all over these Psalms. And he talks about how great a God we have. And he talks about God in a very wonderful way in, in that context there. And it's a very personal Psalm that we read here. And uh, when we look at this Psalm, it, it, we find that God's name is mentioned many, many times. You'll notice in verse 1, God's name is mentioned twice. And you notice in verse 3, God's name is mentioned again. And then we go down and God's name is mentioned again in verse 9. And we go down in verse 10 and he's referred to as the most high and again we go down to verse 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 13 God's name is mentioned twice in verse 14 God's name is mentioned again we've on verse 16 God's name is mentioned again and we just see this over and over again the penmanship of Asaph has God all over the psalm and when we think about we think about a psalm like this and all the psalms it caused brings us to the attention to realize what do we think about most and I like a thought that the great preacher and writer A.W. Tozer said he made this thought in her statement. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Psalm 77 is causing us to think about God. Psalm 77 is causing us to get our mind off ourselves and to think about the Lord. When you come to church, our prayer is that you come to church thinking about God. And when you leave church, you're thinking about God as God is your provider, as God who's almighty, God who's all holy, and God who's very personal. Asaph writes this psalm to help us understand the greatness of God and the goodness of God. And the greatness of God, as we know, as we read the scripture, is revealed through study, but as we read Psalm 77, the greatness of God is also revealed to us through suffering, as we'll see. The greatness of God is revealed to us through reading, but we also realize that the greatness of God is revealed to us through the refining process of God. This psalm, if you'll notice this, is divided into two sections, if you're taking notes. It's divided into two sections. Section 1 is verses 1 to 10. Section 2 is verses 11 to 20. In sections 1 to 10, we see, we, see the, we see the gloom of the psalmist, and yet in verses 11 to 20, we see the gladness of the psalmist. In, Psalm, in verses 1 to 10, we see Asaph's night, and yet in verses 11 to 20, we see Asaph's light. In verses 1 to 10, we see Asaph's horror. In verses 11 to 20, we see Asaph's happiness. In verses 1 to 10, we see Asaph who is broken. And yet in verses 11 to 20, we see Asaph who is blessed. And you know, what we're going to see this morning is exactly where some of us are at right now. Some of us have been in the past year, or some of us are about to go into. Because we're going to see this morning how all the things that happen in our life, those things are designed by God to bring us into his presence, to appreciate and honor God for who he is. Asaph records in Psalm 77, the trial he went through that brought him to this conclusion in verse 13, we have so great a God in heaven and so great a God in our personal lives. I want us to see what this man experienced and I want us to see how great a God he is. A.W. Tozer said this as I get into the message. He said this, he says, it is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. It is, it is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until 
feel he has hurt him deeply. My prayer for us as a congregation, and granted we have many people on vacation today, my prayer for us as a congregation, my prayer for our members of the church, my prayer for you today is that you would realize the greatness of God and that you realize that in everything, everything goes in cycles. We have days and we have nights. We have blessings and we have difficulties. We have trials and we have triumphs. We have victories, we have defeats. And we're gonna see this morning that in spite of all those things that God, that doesn't change who God is and that doesn't change God's power and that doesn't change God and his attributes and that doesn't change what God wants done in your life and mine. Notice some things that we learned from Asaph in this psalm about so great a God. Number one, would you notice in verses one to 10, we see Asaph in his darkness. Asaph was in a dark place in his life. Now when we talk about a dark place, a dark place is where we feel like we're trapped, we're stuck, and we're looking for a way out. And for some of us, it may be we have fallen into a pit that we did not see, and we don't see our way out. It might be just like Joseph, who was in a pit, and he couldn't get himself out. A dark place is a place we're in where we feel stuck and trapped, and we're looking for a way out. Now, in the New Testament, there's a word describing difficulties and challenges and trials, and it's the word, the Greek word that we get our word tribulation from. It's the Greek word thalipsis. Now, thalipsis, if you ever run into this as you study the Bible, you're going to find it's used very, very much in the New Testament of describing tribulation. And it has the idea, if you would, it's an agricultural term. It has the idea of two forces, two, two, two devices pressing something in the middle there. And it has the idea of a, of a stone here and a stone there and a device, a mechanism that causes these devices to come together and presses the thing in between there very, very tightly. He has the idea of something, or it has the idea perhaps of treading and trampling of grapes. In those days to produce grape juice, people did it by feet. You know, as they probably still do today in some countries where they take clusters of grapes and they put it into a, a, big, a big container where they just trample on it and then as the juice starts to flow, the juice flows out of there. There's freshly treaded grapes and flows out there. And it has the idea, the word thalipsis has the idea of when you and I go through a tribulation or trial or difficulty, we feel like we're pressed we feel like we're trampled upon. We feel like we're going through great difficulties. And you'll notice here this morning, as we begin the psalm, we see a man who is suffering. He's being treaded upon. He's experiencing tremendous pressure from the weight or mechanism that's pressing him down below. And so we see a man who's suffering. Notice the description of Asaph's suffering. In verse 2, he says this, in the day of my trouble. In verse 2 again, he says, my sore ran in the night. In verse 2 again, he says, my sore ran in the night and it sees not. Just in verse 2 alone, we see a man who's going through excruciating suffering. He speaks about trouble in his day. And when this trouble came, it's like, where did this come from? And how did this happen? And he talked about a sore. He talked about this pain. He talked about this discomfort. And he said it would not go away. It's the discomfort that was lingering with him. And it stayed with him. And he thought as the night came that it would go away. But he said, my sore ran into the night. It was so overwhelming that even through the night, I could not sleep and I experienced it. And then in verse 3 again, he speaks about his trouble. He said, I remembered God and I was troubled. He says in verse 4, he was so troubled. This man was experiencing and summarized what he was, his darkness as being trouble. The Bible says, man that is born of woman, his days are few and full of trouble. We have trouble when trials come. We have trouble when we feel the world has gone out from us. We have trouble when, we, when we're in trouble. We feel like there are no answers. We feel like we're stuck. But he's not done yet. Notice in verse 3, he describes it this way. Maybe some of us feel this way. He said, and my spirit was overwhelmed. I think some of us can be at a place where just the, the pressure and the tribute 
tribulation and the difficulty, we feel like we're very overwhelmed. Our thoughts are filled with darkness. Our soul feels like it's trapped. We really can't see our way out. We feel like we're in a cave and there's no light at the end of the tunnel. And we wonder, where's the light? Why am I in all this darkness? And he's feeling like he's going through these difficulties. And then you notice in verse four, he describes how this affects him physically, this emotional turmoil he's going through and the spiritual turmoil. We see how it affects him physically as well. He says, thou holdest mine eyes waking. He's saying, listen, I'm trying to go to sleep, but this is so heavy and it's so overwhelming that I can't close my eyelids. I'm, I'm up when I should be sleeping. And then in verse four, he says, I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. Hey, have you ever been there? You don't have the words to describe what you're going through. You're speechless. You're sleepless. You're overwhelmed. You're losing weight. You have no appetite for anything. You have no desire to go on. Christmas might be here, but you don't feel like you're in a Christmas mood. You feel like you're in this overwhelming darkness. And we find this man who's suffering immensely from his situation. But notice in verse one, we see Asaph as he's going through this dark period of time. We see him in his suffering. But notice we see something else. We see Asaph in his supplication. Those of you new to the Bible and those of you growing in the faith, there are many words that are synonymous with the word prayer. Now we think about prayer, automatically what comes to our mind is going to God and telling God all about our problems. I like that song we sing every now and then, what a friend we have in Jesus. And we talked about taking all of our problems to him in prayer. You know, prayer is, an, is, is something that we do for many of us is spontaneous instead of being scheduled. And I'm gonna encourage you as we get to 2020, I said this to church Sunday night, one of our great emphasis as we emphasize an only God heart, an only God philosophy, an only God mindset is that we learn to pray as a church. We learn Learn to pray individually. I want to encourage many of you who struggle in prayer to get victory in prayer. I want to encourage many of you this come here to learn to pray and have long seasons of prayer. I want to encourage many of you who are perhaps maybe the most that you pray is one minute a day or even one minute a week. I want to challenge you to get to a place where you're praying an hour a day and even more than that. I want to get to a place of realizing God is approachable at all times. I asked our, as I go through reviews with different groups of people, I'll remind them at the end of the reviews, I said, now, if, you have to, if I ask you to work on one thing in your life, be someone that's approachable. Don't be someone that people look at you and there's a wall going up. Be always someone that says that you're approachable. I want to tell you something today. God is great and God is awesome. God is most high, but God is approachable. You can come to God at any time of the day for any reason, no matter what it is. God never turns us away. God never is too busy for us. God never has other appointments he has to worry about. God is there for you. Even right now, if your heart is hurting, you can go to God right now. And we see one of the words synonymous with prayer is this word supplication. Supplication is the pouring out of your heart. It's making many prayers. It's, it's praying repeatedly. It's praying persistently. It's praying boldly. When we see the word supplication. We realize it has the idea that it's, it's just praying that's going to go on, on and on and on. The Apostle Paul said in, second, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, I will that first of all, he says that first of all, that, that prayers, supplications, intercessions, and giving thanks be made for all men. God places the high priority in prayer. God tells us in Rome, in Luke chapter 18, verse 1, our Lord Jesus Christ said, he, he gave a principle. He said, men ought always to pray and not to faint. And so we see this man, Asaph, he's in darkness. He is suffering. He's in difficulty. But the first thing he tells us in verses 1 and 2 is that he goes to God in supplication. Can I encourage you this morning, if you're going through troubles and circumstances, you can call Pastor Fong up, and I will pray for you. And you can call a brother and sister in Christ in this church that you're close to, and they'll pray for you. But I'm going to 
tell you this morning, nothing will substitute for you going to God yourself directly and praying and asking God to intervene for you on your behalf there. You must go to God directly there. And so this man Asaph, he was going through a trial. Yes, he was a, he was a, he was a musician. And yes, he was a choir leader. And yes, he led the Levites in singing. And yes, he led the worship service for the glory of God. But this man was going through a trial just like all of us will go through trials. And he said, I cried unto God with my voice, even unto God with my voice, and he gave ear unto me. Listen, God wants to hear your voice when, you're, when you have depression. And God wants to hear your voice when you're having trouble. And God wants to hear your voice when things seem unfair. And God wants to hear your voice when you're overwhelmed. And this man Asaph, as we read the description of his suffering, I'm reminded today of a man who had enough character and enough unction inside him. He said, I'm going to go to God and ask God for my help. And we see this man going to God in supplication. He talks about here in verse 2, in the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. I have found over the years in pastoring and being a Christian for 49 years, I learned one thing about people. It's interesting how I'll ask people as they go through trials and difficulties, and they'll describe to me everything going on, and I'll ask them, have you prayed to God about it? And I said, have, when did you go to God in prayer? Listen, the moment the trial comes, the moment the difficulty comes, he said, in the day of my trouble, don't wait one day, and don't wait one year, and don't wait two years. Go to God directly in the day of your trouble. Come to God, and you will realize that God is there for you there. Suffering brings us into the presence of God. We suffer. Our instinct for the survival is to ask others to pray for us. But I want to tell you, your instinct should be, I'm going to God directly. Notice in verse 1, his prayer was aimed unto God. Unto God. Notice, secondly, his prayer was not only aimed, but his prayer was attended. Notice what he says here. I cried unto God with my voice, even unto God with my voice, and he gave ear unto me. Let me give you some good news. God does hear you. Amen? He hears you. He hears you. Our words might seem incoherent to us. And our words might feel jumbled up, but he hears us. He knows what your prayer need is. Asaph is suffering. Asaph is in his supplication. He's praying to God. But you notice something? Watch this now. I hope you don't miss this part. But you notice Asaph's skepticism. When we think about something over and over and over in seconds, feel like hours, hours feels like weeks, weeks feel like months, months feel like years. We start to question God. If the pastor doesn't give you the answer you're looking for, you start to question the pastor. Skepticism comes in. We become cynical. We become doubtful. And notice the words he uses to describe where he's at. In verse 3, I complained. I complained. We start off and we have these fears and we say, well, God is on the throne and God is almighty. By the way, he is, amen. But after a while, as it lingers on and the pain continues and we find ourselves bleeding out spiritually, we, we start to complain. We can't help but tell somebody else. We complain. 
And our minds are playing, our mind is playing games with us. And we start getting, wanting people's opinions instead of saying, God, I'm going to trust you through it. He was complaining. And then notice this. He thought about the past times of God's work in his life. Notice he says several times there. He said in verse 3, I remembered God. He said in verse 6, I called to remembrance my song in the night. He talks about remembering God. And then notice in verse 9, he makes a statement. This is sounding, has God forgotten? He's skeptical. Has God forgotten? Uh, we, he's questioning these things. Uh, he's, he's searching his heart. Look at verse 6. He's deeply searching his heart and trying to ask, ascertain what's going on. He said in verse 6, I called to remembrance my song in the night. He said, I called to remembrance those previous times when I, when I was going through those darkness of times and I sang through the night and I just took a song, a ballad of some kind, or maybe a psalm to kind of comfort my heart. He was kind of like Paul and Silas as they, as, they, as they prayed and sang praises of God at midnight while they were languishing in prison. They were singing to God. And he, says, he said, I called to remembrance my song in the night. He says, I've been through trials before. And I've been through hard times before and I sang my way through it and I prayed my way through it. But he said, nothing's changing here. And he said in verse 6, I commune with my own heart. I'm talking to myself. I'm speaking to myself. And he said, my spirit made diligent search. I'm searching my heart. God, what's going on here? Why is this happening? And God, is this for real? And God, is there some sin I haven't confessed to you that's not, that I've not made clear? And notice he goes on here in verses 7 to, 7 to 10. You find this man in a very, very deep, dark place in his life. He said in verse 7, will the Lord cast us off? Has God forsaken me? Will he be favorable no more? Does God, God doesn't love me? Have I lost the favor of God? Have I lost the hand of God in my life? And he asked this question. He, said, uh, he, he says in verse 8, is his mercy gone? Is his mercy clean gone? Is God forsaken me? Is there, is there no more mercy for God from God? Is God's mercies, are they not new every morning, as the writer of Lamentations said? But I, I'm not experiencing his mercies. I'm feeling the pressure. I'm feeling just the situation getting just protracted out there. Is his mercy clean gone forever? He asked in verse 8, has the word of God failed me? He says, does his promise fail forevermore? Is it, what about the promises of God? And maybe some of you are like that. You're just feeling like God has walked out and you feel like God's word is not, you're not getting the answer and God's word is not alive and you feel like the mercies of God are not there and you feel like God has forsaken you. You feel like the, you don't have the favor of God and the, and the goodness of God. And even as some people have said to me in the past, they said, what have I done so bad that I deserve such a great punishment? And they're thinking, why is God punishing me? And that's kind of where his thoughts were gravitating for a period of time. He's thinking about, God, what's going on in my life there? But it gets a little bit worse than that. He goes on, he says, has God forgotten to be gracious? In verse nine, has he in anger shut up his tender mercies? He's in a dark place. He's suffering. He's praying. He's skeptical. But notice verse 10. He's sick. Notice Asaph's sickness. He sums it all up. And I said, this is my infirmity. Beloved, please listen to this morning. When you're in a dark place in life, the emotional upheaval, the stumbling in darkness, we find one thing happens. It exposes in our life Spiritual sickness.
We give a lot of attention to our physical well-being and our health. We'll use hand sanitizer during winter to keep our hands clean. We'll wash our hands frequently under the hot water with soap. We're careful to cough into our, into our, into our jackets. We're careful to avoid someone who's sick. We're extra careful about all those things, but on the same, on the same tone, are we careful about our spiritual lives? You see, this morning when we desire darkness more than light, we're spiritually sick. We decide to live a defeated life instead of a victorious Christian life, we're spiritually sick. When we love sin more than we love Jesus, we are spiritually sick. We stay complacent in our way and do not decide to change, we're spiritually sick. If you've made up your mind, regardless of what direction the church is going in to 2020, that you're going to stay the same and the Bible is not relevant to you and the Bible is not real to you and you're not going to, be, you're not going to have a growing relationship in Jesus Christ, I'm going to tell you, you're, you're, you're in a place where there's spiritual sickness. Listen, if we're not spiritually well, we're spiritually sick. And this man was with so much upheaval, we find this man was, describes his sickness. He's in infirmity, the fear, the stress, the unknown, the potential losses. He was debilitated. We see Asaph in his darkness. But what you notice the second thing, what you notice this, and this is the good part this morning. What you notice Asaph's discovery. Instead of Asaph allowing the suffering and the trial to destroy him, he was awakened in his heart. Notice verse 10. He sums up the summation of his situation by saying, This is my infirmity, it's making me sick. It's taking away my sleep. I'm drifting into a place in my life I don't want to be in. But then in verse 10, he doesn't stop there because he realizes he's been there before, but God has something bigger in mind for him. He says, but I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. He's at a place where he's awakened in his heart and soul, as we'll see in verse 13, about so great a God is our God. He makes a discovery here. And let me tell you this morning, as we go through difficulties and trials, God leads us in these pathways many times that we might make the important discovery of how great a God we have. Listen, we want to we wanna have a lot of great discoveries and a lot of great experiences. The greatest experience we can have in our life is discovering how how great God is, amen? And this is what, this is what Alexander McLaren, the great, the great Scottish uh, preacher said this. He said, those who know the path to God can find it in the dark. Those who know the path to God can find it in the dark. And notice this man, the, his discovery process that brought him to the reality of what so great a God we have. Notice first of all, verses 10 to 12, there were the unforgettable memories Yes, he thought about the past. He thought about his songs in the night in the past, as he said. And he thought about how he searched his heart. He thought about those things. But now he's at a place in verses 10 to, 13, to 10 to 12 where we see that he remembers these things, the things of God, that what God did in his life. And notice the things he talked about. I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the works of the Lord. I will remember the wonders of old. I will meditate also of all thy work and talk of all thy doings. He remembered in the past how God helped him in the 
the past. He remembered how God, times before, got through things. And it made him stop to think about, God helped me through this trial. And God helped me through this trial. And God helped me through, helped me through this people's circumstance. And he said, I thought about this in verse 10. He says, I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. He's talking about, I remember, I remember when God's hand was on my life through all my other difficulties. God didn't fail me then. And he's thinking, God is not going to fail me now. I'm thinking about the years, the, the years, the difficulties, the trials, the multiple experience of things I had. He says, I will remember those years. He said, I will remember the works of the Lord. In verse 11, I think he's talking about those times when he went through great extreme situations and he prayed to God as he did this time and God answered his prayer and he saw how God made a way through the wilderness and he saw how God led him the paths of righteousness for his name's sake and he saw how the Lord led him beside the still waters and he saw how God restored his soul. He said, you know what? I remember God did these things. You know, God tells us in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 verse one to remember thy creator in the days of thy youth. We need to take time as we go to the new year and as we end this year to remember God, God in his goodness and God in his grace and God in his love and God in his greatness towards you and I. He said, he remembered here, he says here in verse, verse, verse 12, I will meditate also of all thy work and talk of all thy doings. He says, he reminds us here that we must remember it's the Lord our God which gives us power to acquire wealth. And we must remember that God is the one who's working in us. The Bible tells us in, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. May I tell you this morning, if you're going through trial or about to go into trial or a difficult time and dark moment in your life, may I remind you today, we have a God who is there for you. Remember his goodness. Remember his blessings. Remember he saved you. Remember he's on his throne. Remember he doesn't fail you. Remember that what he did for Moses, he could do for you. Remember what he did for Samuel, he could do for you. Remember what he did for David, he could do for you. Remember what he did for Paul, he could do for you. Listen, those are the unforgettable memories of a God who never fails. There's a second thing. Notice verses 14 to 17. In his discovery, there were the unforgettable memories. But then he thought about the unfailing might of God. In verses 14 to 17, he talks about the greatness of God. God's working in creation. And God's working people. Notice what he says in verse 14. Thou art the God that doest wonders. Thou hast declared thy strength among the people. Thou hast with thine arm redeemed thy people. The sons of Jacob and Joseph. The waters saw thee, O God. The waters saw thee. They were afraid. The depths also were troubled. The clouds poured out water. The sky sent out a sound. Thine arrows also went abroad. Here, here's, here's what's going on in Asaph's mind. When Asaph worshipped God, he led the multitude of people to worship God. He would come inside the temple, and there they would lead a great choir of people to sing. And as he's there, he many times he thought back, as they, they thought back of the great works of God leading to Israel's, in Israel's history, leading to that moment of time or that. And he thought back when, he, when Israel, when all of the Israelites were in Egyptian bondage for 440 years, and how God took Moses, and through the staff, the rod of God in, in Moses' hands, how God brought these, all these different miraculous plagues to demonstrate his power and then how God took them out of Egypt and how he led them across the Red Sea and that Red Sea crossing was etched as a very uh, important historical moment in the life of Israel and how he led them through the Red Sea and then in the wilderness for 40 years he showed himself faithful to them he fed them with manna by morning and quail by night he gave them water from a rock I mean when you think about three million people God took care of the needs of feeding them and giving them water to take care of them and the Bible describes in the book of Deuteronomy that their shoes never failed 
failed. I mean, I don't know about you. That's a wonderful thing. If you can wear shoes and they don't wear out, amen, you know? And they had shoes that didn't wear out. They didn't get old and moldy and things like that. I mean, they just had it great. Their clothing remained the same. They didn't have to worry about fashion that day. Amazon.com would not have made it during that time, amen? Uh, the clothing designers today would not have made it during that time because God took care of his people there. But he thought about all of these things that God did. And he's saying here in, ver- in all these verses, he said, he said, man, God is so good. He says, you're the God that doest wonders. And he's thinking about the unfailing might of God. He says, you know what? God's power was great then. God's power is great now. Can I tell you something? God's great power was great in the Bible, but God's power is still great right now. God can still save, and God can still start churches, and God can still call men to preach, and God can still save souls, and God can still do something great in God. God has unfailing might for your power, for your life and mine. I remind you Ephesians chapter 3. We read Ephesians 3, and Paul starts talking about the mystery of the church because for the Jews the, the idea of the church was not revealed in the Old Testament and the, the Jews were and, and during the Old Testament Israel was God's chosen people but because they failed God God raised up the church and Jesus died and started the church and we are the church and we're in this age of grace and we're in this age of the church where the church is advancing the cause and the message of Jesus Christ there and uh, Paul writes about this mystery that was, that was concealed to them but now is made known through the church and he starts talking about the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of God and he talks marvelously in those verses about how much God loves us and you know every now and then when we get discouraged and every now and then when we're just a little bit down and every now and then we feel like everybody's going out on us don't forget one thing God's never left you God's never walked out on you God is still there and God loves you amen pastor God loves you and God's there for you amen and then he goes down and he says now to him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think I remind you this morning God is still able today if God was able for Paul and God was able for Daniel and God was able for all those men of God I remind you today God is able for you and I today as well he's able he talks about the unfailing might of God but notice something else now he's he's kind of at this place now he's taking a step up here because he's thought about you know the he's thinking about the unforgettable memories and he's thinking about he's thinking about the unfailing might but then in verses 18 to 19 he kind of drifts from there and he gets he, he starts thinking about the days of creation and he thinks about all the wonders of the world and he thinks about all these wonderful sights like the things we saw like the Palawan Islands and the Philippines and like those waterfalls there in Iceland and places like that and he's starting to think about the wonders of God and notice in verses 18 to 19 he talks about the unsurpassable majesty he talks about the majesty of God and the majesty of God is seen in creation the majesty of God is seen in the tapestry of the colors and the tapestry of the design and the stars by night and the moon by night and the sun by day and the crashing of the water and if you would the majestic mountains the mountain peaks which never fail and the snow which comes and the snow which melts and he's thinking about the rivers which make their way and the waters which make their way and he thinks about all that and he describes the majesty of God there notice in verse 18 he talks about the voice of the thunder was in the heaven and he talked about the lightnings lightened the world and he talked about the earth trembling and shaking and he talked about verse 19 God's way is in the sea and I think specifically he's drawing them back to the Red Sea crossing the great miracle of the Red Sea and maybe this morning you're at a place where you need the Red Sea to part you're at a place where you can't go backwards and you're trying to figure out how to go forward let me tell you this morning God will get you across that Red Sea and God will make a way across he says thy way is in the sea thy path is in the great waters and thy footsteps are not known he says we need we don't understand all this, but we know one thing. It's all about God. He talked about the unsurpassed majesty of God. Hey, you get what's going on here? He has these unforgettable memories of what God did for him in the past. He thinks about the unfailing might of God. God is great and God is powerful. He's thinking about the unsurpassable majesty of God. He said, if I have any doubts about the past and I have any doubts about his power, I just got to look at creation and see the marvel of creation, all that God's doing there. And then he goes on. He says something else here in verse 20. He talks about the undeserving multitude. He said, man, 
I better be careful I'm not just so centered on myself that I forget God just doesn't work for me. He's working for his people. The redeemed people of God, the people that profess salvation in Christ through Jesus Christ, salvation by faith through Jesus Christ. And he says, thou ledest thy people like a flock. He said, God, you led your people. You've led a multitude, and you've led me. And God, he's thinking about that. And and he's thinking about all that. Now we go back to verse 13. It all brings us to one thing. He he says, all of these things are leading to the one great important discovery. Now maybe for some of us this week, the greatest discovery we had was opening our presents and discovering we got what we wanted for Christmas. And maybe for some of us this week who have gone on vacation or going on vacation, the greatest discovery this week is going somewhere you've never been before and discovering the wonderfulness of God. And for some of us this week, it might be you've discovered the forgiveness of God in your life. And for some of us today, it's discovering that you're loved in spite of the fact you may not feel like you're loved. And here we find the psalmist here, he's, he's talking to us about what he remembered about what God did in his life. And he remembered about the great, the, the majesty of God in creation. And he's reminding himself today of God's God great mightiness and power in his life. And how God led so great a multitude of people. We preach about that. But it leads us to verse 13. In verse 13, he leads us to this, the greatest of all the discoveries. It's the unquestionable marvel of God. The unquestionable marvel of God. God loves you. There may be great multitudes, but God loves you. And so he says in verse 13, he said, he said, listen, thy way, not my way. You want to find the right way, you got to get on his way, amen? He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Thy way, O oh God, is in the sanctuary. He was in a dark place. But he learned something that's a principle of the Christian life. Listen, the darker the night, the brighter the light. Amen? The darker the night, the brighter the light. Robert Murray McShane, my favorite preachers I like to read, died at a very young age. But he made this astounding statement as he went through a difficult time in his life. He said, a dark hour makes Jesus bright. And I want to encourage this morning as we go into 2020, a dark hour makes Jesus bright. The darker the night, the brighter the light. And he says, thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Now, where's he at right now when he's talking about this? Where do you think Asaph's at? He's the leader, one of the leaders, the choir director leading the people of God in worship to the presence of God. If any man experienced the presence of God in the house of God, it was Asaph. Read over in Chronicles, in 1 Chronicles 16. And you know, brother and sister Christ, he makes a very dogmatic and doctrinal statement. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. The sanctuaries where God was worshipped, ceremonial sacrifices were performed. The Passover, the Day of Atonement, the daily burnt offerings, the sin offerings, the wave offerings, the peace offerings, the drink offerings. All of those things point to Jesus. They're not about us, it's about him. It's about our need for him. And when they worship God, there is no time clock. 
There was no watch. When they worshiped God in those days, they took their watches off, they put the sand clocks away, and they just focused their time on the Lord. The priest would do his thing that he had to do to bring the people to the presence of God. He came to the reality that he was moping around in his life, trying to find answers under bushes and trying to find answers in his heart and realize the answer was in the house of God. Let me make, tell you something. For 2020, one of the greatest decisions you should make for 2020 as far as knowing God and only God is realizing you're gonna find God when you go to church. You're gonna find God when you go to the sanctuary. He said, thy way, oh God, is in the sanctuary. Why? Because the sanctuary is the place of worship. If you don't prepare your heart to worship God, you're not gonna have a worshipful experience. The sanctuary is the place where we draw near to God. The sanctuary is the place where everyone looks forward to the Shekinah glory of God coming down, the glory of God coming down and overwhelming this. Listen, he was at the place where his problems overwhelmed him. He realized he needed to be at a place where he was overwhelmed with God. Thy way, O oh God, is in the sanctuary, the place of prayer, the place of time alone with God. But he goes, it gets better than that. Look at verse 13. We find a colon there. And then he asks a question. It wasn't a question of skepticism. It wasn't a question of suspicion. It's a question of comparability or incomparability. Who, who, who is so great a God is our God. It's not money. It's not government. It's not, it's not, it's not, it's not a treasury department. It's not gold. It's not a stock market. It's not a real estate market. It's not the shipping industry. It's not the internet. Who is so great a God is our God. And he's declaring this at a time when everybody's watching this man's life and wondering, is he going to go down for the count? Is he going to be another defeated believer? Or is he a real Christian? Is he someone who really believes God? Is he someone who really has faith in God? Is he someone who really believes that God is real and God is, God is just as involved right now in my problem as he is in creation? I want to tell you this morning, we have so great a God this morning. We have so great a God that he saves. We have so great a God that he opened the Red Sea for Moses. We have so great a God he fed three million people daily for six days a week with manna from heaven and quail from heaven. And he fed them, he gave them water to drink. We have so great a God who worked his way in lives of people as we read through the Old Testament majestic things of God. And we think, well, that was the Old Testament and that was just what God did then. Let me remind you today, that does not negate how God works and that does not negate the power of God. Who is so great a God is our God. You know what he's saying there? You need to test it. You need to, you need to taste and see that the Lord is good. And you need to go out and prove God by faith. And you need to exercise some faith through prayer. And you need to experience the goodness of God by reading his word and letting his word read through you and learning to pray and ask God to lift that burden off your heart. Realize that God is so great a God. Who's so great a God that overcome a giant with a rock from a sling? Who's so great a God that would topple walls that no human army could topple? Who's so great a God that could hold the sun still at the request of one man? And the Bible says never before was there a day like that, never would be another day like that again. Who's so great a God that would preserve his servants who are thrown into a fiery furnace? Who's so great a God that would preserve his servant who's thrown into a lion's den? Who's so great a God that would send his only beloved son, Jesus Christ, to die for the sins of all the world? Who's so great a God, by the spirit of holiness, would raise his son 
again from the dead. Who's so great a God who's real in the life of everyone has faith in him? It's the God of heaven, the God of creation, the God you call your Savior. Who's so great a God as our God? He came to a great discovery, the questionable marvel. I thought about it. There were my memories. I thought about the majesty. I thought about the might. I thought about the multitude. But I've come to this conclusion. There's a marvel. There's no God greater than our God. Aren't you glad this morning God never fails? Aren't you glad this morning God is real? Aren't you glad the God of the Bible is not a God of theory? He's a God who's real in every life. I want you to experience who he is. He's real. And so as we close this morning, we see Asaph in his darkness, and we see Asaph in his discovery. Would you notice as we close this morning, Asaph and a decision. Verse 13, he came to a conclusion. He asked a question, because sometimes questions have a way to capture our attention. But really summarizes the conclusion he came to. Only God. Only God is great. Only God is creator. Only God can save. <coughs> Only God can raise the dead. Only God is living. Only God can answer your prayers. And he's, he comes to all this. He said in verse 20, Thou lettest thy people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Now I'm going to tell you this morning as we go into 2020, we need God to lead us. We need God to lead us. If you're leading yourself, you need to go back in the, you need to go behind the, get behind him a little bit here and let God lead you. Thou lettest thy people like a flock. We need to let God lead us. And we need to go through a discovery process, whatever it may take, to get us to understand who he is. But he came to this decision. I want the people that I'm writing to to know that God is great. Who is so great a God is our God. He has not changed and he's unchangeable. He wants us to come to this decision that God is great. Now how do we come to that decision, that conclusion this morning? Well, write this down and you're done. Number one, God is great in fact. Act. Regardless of what you and I think, regardless of what our experience may be right now, God is great in fact. He is great because he is great. Amen? Whether you think so or not, he's great. He's great because of his creative acts. Isn't that what he said here? He's great because of his written revelation. Isn't that what we have here, the Bible? The Bible is the written revelation of God. It's God's communication to us. He's great not only because of his creative acts and his written revelation. He's great because he's God and there's none else. Amen. So he's great because he's God. He's God is great because, in fact, but notice secondly, God is great when we're in the fire. Daniel had three friends who had important positions in the government. And King Nebuchadnezzar, who was one of the great kings in world history, which when you read the book of Daniel and you read through the, the history of the Bible, the Bible speak, proves itself just through, through the confirmation of history. And King Nebuchadnezzar was the, the king over, of the Babylonian government. And just the chapter before, Daniel's three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, Nazariah, whose names were changed into Babylonian names, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. They were promoted. 
The king even said about Daniel and his friends, they're 10 times better than everybody else in the kingdom. And you read chapter two, it speaks about, it speaks about a kingdom that's forever, it speaks about only God. And the king is so, he's so impressed with this prophecy that Daniel gives about this future image that he builds this 90 foot tall image in the area of Dutra, which was a valley area where people from all directions would see this 90 foot tall monstrosity. I want you to think of me for just a minute. This building, there would be something similar to the height of this building, even taller, a 90 foot tall idol image that this man made. It had golden, it had gold, was a, it was adorned with gold, so even when the sun re, uh, shined on it, it gave off a reflection. You couldn't help but see this, this image wherever you went. And he said, well, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to put this image up, and this image is of me. And he said, what I want you to do is when you hear the sound of the music, you hear the cornets and the horns and the flutes and all these things, when you hear the sounds, he said, if you're a deputy, if you're a sheriff, if you're a captain, whoever you are, you need to bow to that image. Basically told everybody to work for him, that government, you better bow to that image. And if you don't bow to that image... I'm going to throw you into a fiery furnace. And when he said that, everybody's, the back of their hair curled up because they said, oh, not that furnace. And so the horns blow and the trumpets blow and the cornets are blowing and all that's going on. And everybody's bowing except for three men. You know, looking around, why is everybody bowing? We're not going to bow. And where it gets back, somebody peeks and says, hey, how come those three Hebrews aren't bowing? Because those three Hebrews don't bow to images. They bow to God, amen? Amen. And the world's gonna ask you to bow to it. You're gonna have changes in your human resources policies and changes in the law. They're gonna ask you to bow to the law. When the law contradicts God, we must obey God rather than men. I'm not telling you being rebellious or anarchist. I'm just telling you, God's word, God is holy. We don't don't disobey God. I mean, the apostles had to deal with that in Acts chapter five, verse 29. But I'm just saying here, they, these men were at a place, they weren't being disrespectful of the king, but they, they were trained. You don't bow to any other image. And word got back to the king, and he said, listen, is it true that you haven't bowed? A lot of us don't bow to images, but a lot of us bow to pressure. A lot of us bow to our problems. We our problems, but all of a sudden, have so clouded our judgment, we think our problem is bigger than God. I'm going to tell you this morning, who is so great a God as our God? I'm going to give you guys one more chance. We'll blow the trumpets again. We'll blow the flutes again. We'll blow the harps, all those things. We'll play the harps, all those things. But you, you bow. And they said, listen, we're going to tell you, king, we're not going to bow. We know our God is so great, he could deliver us from your fire. But even if God chooses not to deliver us, we're still not going to bow. The Bible says he got into a rage. He says, heat up that furnace seven times hotter than it was. Now, when you read that in Daniel chapter 3, you have to pause for a minute. That was, that was everybody knew by heating it up even more intensely how deadly that fire would be. That fire was so intense. And this, this man was in such a rage. He had his best soldiers' armies carry these three Hebrew young men there. The flame, the heat, the intensity, he killed his men. He had those three thrown in. The Bible says they fell into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. But here's the amazing thing. He didn't hear any sounds. There's no crying. He didn't smell clothing burning. He didn't smell burning flesh. All the horrors that would be associated with with probably people he threw in that burning, fiery furnace in the past. There was none of that. And so the fire started started to 
diminish a little bit here because it's had time to burn away. And so he gets up close enough to look inside. And we're not really sure where he stood at, but he could, probably was at a position he could look inside. And he said, he asked his wise men, did we throw three men in there? And they said, yeah, we did. He said, well, how come I see four and one is like unto the Son of Man? Let me tell you today, you're going to discover how great a God, our God we have when you're in the fire. Spurgeon said, the refiner is never very far from the mouth of the furnace when his gold is in the fire. God is great, in fact. God is great when we're in the fire. God is great when we exercise faith. Have a great faith year in 2020. Stop vacillating. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Have faith. Have faith in God. Praying is how we exercise faith. We need to pray for things that only God can answer. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. God is great in fact. God is great in the fire. God is great in faith. But God is great for your future. Thou lettest thy people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. He's a great God. He wants to be pleased with your life. Listen to Psalms 48, verse 1. As I read this, I want to make this statement. No future is bleak when God is allowed to be in control. And the psalmist said in Psalms 48, the very first verse, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God and the mountain of his holiness. He starts off Psalms 48 with how great God is. He ends Psalms 48 and verse 14 by saying this, for this God, which God? The one he spoke about, that is great. This God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide, even to death. Man, courage this morning. You might be going through a roller coaster experience right now where you're about to enter into one. But this God is our God forever and ever, even unto death. And what does that mean as we wrap this all up? Number one, you have a great future because of Jesus Christ. You don't have a bad future. You have a good future because of Jesus. You have a bad future if you make bad decisions. When your decisions do not include God. When your decisions are you, and not God. That's why he was searching his heart. He realized that when his overwhelmingness, when he was overwhelmed by the problem, he was looking to himself and not looking to God. But for every person here this morning, do you know for certain your future includes heaven? Do you know for certain that if your life was to end today, heaven's your home? Because God is unfailing. He saves to the uttermost. He wants you to be saved from your sins. He wants you to know that eternal life through Jesus Christ can be yours today. That is the grace of God. God wants you to be saved. We don't deserve to be saved, but God wants you to be saved from your sins. God wants you to have forgiveness of your sins and to make sure heaven's your home. And God wants you to be saved today if you're not saved. He said here in Psalms 48, verse 14, for this God is our God forever and ever. He wants you to make certain today before this year is over that you have that most blissful of relationships, and that is knowing Jesus Christ is your personal Savior today. 
And for Christians today, if we're just kind of languishing along and kind of complacent in our ways and just doing our thing, I'm going to encourage you this morning, why don't you, why don't you just realize today you've got to take maybe that major step of faith and saying, God, I'm going to just trust you because this is a God who's my God forever and ever because he's great. So close Spurgeon said this, as for, his, as for his failing you, never dream of it. Hate the thought of it. The God who has been sufficient until now should be trusted to the end. You trust in God this morning. Who is so great a God as our God? I'm thankful this morning God is great. I'm thankful for God. He doesn't fail us. Who is so great a God? Don't even think that he's failed you. He's not failed you. He's real. He's on his throne. You need to accept him. You need to have faith in him. Even as Spurgeon said, I have a great need for Christ, but I have a great Christ for my need. And you can settle this morning as you begin this new year. I'm going to latch on to Jesus and trust him.